Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. 53rd chapter of Isaiah is um, uh, not in dispute in any way among any Christian organization or church. Everybody understands that to be the Messianic chapter. In other words, or what that means, is that every church group, every church organization that believes in and preaches Jesus as a savior of our sins agrees that this was God telling Israel what the Messiah would do. Isaiah wrote these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit some several hundred years ago, several hundred years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And um, it may be, probably is, in my thinking, the most concise description and revelation concerning the work of the Messiah on behalf of Israel. We won't read the whole thing. The whole chapter is great, but we won't take time to read it all. Let's start in verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, the word sorrows is the word for sickness. The word grief is the word for pains. So he's a man of sickness and acquainted with pains. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely... He has borne our griefs, sicknesses, and carried our sorrows, pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, there's a shade of difference, just a shade of difference, in... uh, the word transgressions and iniquities in verse 5. And the, the clearest explanation of that uh, difference uh, that I've ever found was from Adam Clark's commentary. He said transgressions were our sins, personal sins. But iniquity goes back to the fall of Adam, the original sin that opened the door for sin and death to come into the world. It opened the door for sickness to take hold of mankind. So it's saying that the Messiah will specifically and literally take care of, do the work necessary to remove our sins and our domination or bondage unto Adam's sin. It's it's a funny thing that the church looks at the cross and associates the cross with the shedding of Jesus' blood for the redemption of or forgiveness of sins. Consequently, there is much of the church that believes that Jesus died for your sins that believes that's all he died for. But how do you explain away these other things in verse 5? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or punishment of our peace was upon him. That just simply means Jesus paid the price For our peace, this word peace is the word shalom. It means well-being in every area. It's translated prosperity in some places in the Old Testament as well. It's telling us that he paid a price and his blood was a worthy sacrifice. He paid a price for us to be provided for in every area of life, including finances. Now, I think we do a disservice to this if we break it down and say that's just finances because God used a word that means a lot more than that. And you know as well as I do that just money doesn't bring peace. 
But the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. When God adds to you, it's a joyful thing and not burdensome. So he was wounded for our transgressions, personal sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, Adam's sin that passed upon all men. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The price was paid for well-being in every area. And with his stripes, we are healed. So Isaiah is saying in no uncertain terms, the Holy Ghost inspired him to say it in such a direct and clear manner. You need a theologian to help you misunderstand. Clearly, he said that healing was a part of the work of the cross. It was a part of the work of the cross. And here's why that's important. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, it says, wherefore, by one man's sin, talking about Adam, Sin entered the world by one man, Adam. Sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. What it means is this. It means when Adam disobeyed God, that opened the door to the law of sin and death and all the consequences of death, sickness certainly being up at the top of the list. Adam's sin opened the door to sickness. There was no sickness on the earth. There was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind in any way whatsoever. But when Adam sinned, it opened the door to sickness and every other evil thing that the enemy tries to bring upon us. So that means since it was sin first, then sickness, sin first, then sickness. If God's going to do anything about sickness for the benefit and for the well-being of mankind, he has to deal with the sin issue first. Because it wasn't sickness and then followed by sin. It was sin first, then sickness. So for God to do something about the sickness through the work of Jesus and the sacrifice that Jesus made, he had to first deal with sin. He's got to make an atonement, which the word atonement is a theological term. It just simply means a covering over. That's all that could take place concerning sins or regarding the, the price to be paid for sins in the Old Testament. But with Jesus coming to make an eternal sacrifice for us, it's different. See, the word atonement is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's a very poor translation of the word. God's plan was a plan of redemption, not a plan of atonement. Because Jesus taking away our sins once and for all, removing those sins from us and laying them, laying them to the charge of Jesus is much greater than any of the Day of Atonement sacrifices that would cover and suffice for Israel's price for sin to be paid, which they had to do year after year after year. So redemption is not atonement. Redemption is the removal of sins. Atonement means covering over. But a covering over of their sin was the only thing they could have, the best they could have, until Jesus comes and pays the eternal price. But the principle is still the same. You got to deal with the sin issue first and then the sickness issue. Has to. Otherwise, God's not going to be able to do anything about sickness. So what does he do? Well, the Bible tells us that the ten, when the ten plagues were taking place in Egypt and God was in the process of delivering his people, the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. And God made a way for Israel to be free from that By providing for a sacrifice. 
There were very specific instructions given to Israel about how the sacrifice was supposed to be and what it was supposed to be used for. You remember the story how that each house had to put the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed, the Passover sacrifice. They had to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the sides of the doorposts and then above. And when the angels of death saw that blood, which is a type of Jesus and a type of the shedding of his blood for every house, when the angel of death saw that, he passed over Israel. But, of course, you know the end result. All the firstborn of Egypt died. And Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go. So God had to do something about the sin problem with mankind. But now he knows they're going to make a long journey. What's he going to do? Well, the blood of the sacrifice covers the sin problem for Israel. But the Bible tells us in Psalms that God brought them forth with silver and gold. You remember the story how they were instructed to go to their neighbors and say, pay me for the work that we've done for you for 400 years as slaves. So they spoiled Egypt. They took all the stuff. Everybody wanted to give them the stuff. Just get out of here. We're tired of these plagues. We know it's because of you. So please go take everything we own. So the Bible says that they came forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble among them. There was not one feeble among them. Now, if the lack of feebleness, or we'll call that health, was a characteristic of Israel prior to the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, then why is it mentioned? Why would David be impressed by the Holy Ghost to write some several hundred years after the Passover, the death of the firstborn, the ten plagues of Egypt took place? Why would David feel the need Or why would the Holy Ghost impress him to tell us that there was something that happened that caused the people to be raised up? If it was just a normal occurrence, if it was just the way that it always was, he either wouldn't mention it or he'd say something like, and of course you know that Israel never gets sick. But that's not what he did. He identified the work of the Passover lamb for the benefit of Israel and the benefit of each house. They came forth with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble among them, not one weak person, not one sickly person, not one person among them was sick. Most Bible scholars tell us that the number of Israel that came out of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt, was anywhere from a conservative estimate of 2 million people to a more realistic estimate as high as 7 million people. How can you get 2,000, uh, two, what did I say? Did I say 1,000? I meant millions. Let me start over. Some uh, Bible scholars estimate the, the uh, exodus and the number of Is- Israelites to come out of Egypt to be 2 million people. Others est- other estimates go as high as 7 million people. How can you get even 2 million? If you take the low number, how can you get even 2 million people together and nobody's sick? Do you realize the screening that you'd have to do to get 2 million people together and nobody be sick or weak or sickly? It'd be nearly impossible. So what is he doing? Well, the Bible says that not only did, you, did uh, God demand of the people to put the, door, the blood on the doorpost, 
But he commanded them also to eat the sacrificial lamb that was roasted in fire for the strength of their journey. And that's what David says their journey began as, not one sick or feeble person among them. Now in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, one of the first things that happens after God delivers them through the Red Sea is they're in a new land going toward the promised land, the land of Canaan. And they come to a a place where the waters were bitter. There's a little bit of disagreement between scholars, Bible scholars about what bitter means. But most probably it means poisonous. I don't think he's just talking about a bad taste. It probably means poisonous. Be that as it may, God shows Moses a tree, which is a type of the cross of Jesus, and commands him to cut down the tree and throw the tree in the water. And it purified the waters. And what's interesting about that, in my thinking, is that Israel is then told by God who he is. God identifies himself as I am the God that he left thee. Now, King James translates that he left. It's not a bad translation. It could certainly mean that and certainly does mean that. But it goes even further than that. Because a word is used. The Holy Ghost impressed and prompted Moses to use a word that means continuous action. It could very easily and, and very appropriately and accurately be translated, I am the God that healed you several days ago with the Passover. It could also be translated, I am the God that will always heal you because it's a continuous action word. But to use the word that he did and take away any connection with the Passover would not be true to the language that was used. God is first and foremost identifying himself as the one that healed him before in the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. So when they ate the... the, uh, Passover lamb for the strength of their journey. The strength of their journey required divine healing and restoration to divine health. Now that's who God said he was. That's not man trying to come up with some doctrine. That's what God said about himself. Fast forward another 200 years. Hezekiah becomes king of Judah. The ten tribe, the 12 tribes had split by then. And so he became the king of Judah, and he tried to reinstitute some of the things that God had told them to do and some of the things that fell by the wayside because of the wicked kings before him. So he wanted to reinstitute the Passover. Well, what does he do? Well, by the time he decides what he wants to do and sends the word out to everybody to gather together and, and keep the Passover particulars and the ritual of the Passover sacrifice, he was too late in the year. He missed it by a month. And so he prayed. He said, God, I know we're not doing this exactly right. I know that the people haven't been purified the way that they should have been. I know this is the wrong month to do the Passover, but we're trying to honor you. And so he reinstituted the Passover. And the Bible says that when the Passover was reinstituted, God healed the people. God healed people. The people. Well, that's an indication to me that healing was part of the first Passover, wouldn't you think? But it's still the same principle. The blood first to deal with the sin problem, and then the result is healing for the physical body. 
David spoke of these things. Psalm 103, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and who healeth all thy diseases. First thing out of David's mouth was an understanding of the great benefits of God's blessing. He forgives all your iniquities or sins. He heals all your diseases. Now, I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 is estimated to be anywhere between 10 and 20 years after the children of Israel come through the Red Sea. We'll start reading in verse 4, Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. And it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They were very discouraged because of their circumstances. And folks, you need to be smart enough to realize this is where the devil works. This is where he throws his best shot. He tries to get you discouraged because of your situation. He wants to get you whining and complaining and moaning and groaning. So the people were discouraged because of the way. I don't know what they thought the wilderness was going to be. But it was tougher than they expected. They've already rejected the promised land. They've already taken a position of following the majority report. The majority being the ten spies that went in instead of Caleb and Joshua who said we can do it. So they were discouraged because of the wilderness that they got themselves into. By failing to believe God. What do they do? And the people spake against God and against Moses, saying, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth or hates this light bread. Now, the light bread is talking about is manna. We're tired of manna. We've run through all the manna recipes we can come up with. Therefore, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, I know I've covered this a lot of times, but every time I come to an opportunity to say it, I feel the need to do so, because I know everybody doesn't know this. In the Hebrew language, according to Hebrew scholars, in the Hebrew language, Old Testament Hebrew, there are words that are used that imply permission where the King James translators translated them in the causative sense. Here where it says the Lord sent fiery serpents, you can find other scriptures that tell us that there were fiery serpents throughout the wilderness. But the reality is the only time the fiery serpents came in among the people and came into the camp of Israel were when Israel had sinned. So here where it says, and the Lord sent fiery serpents, God's not trying to kill people. But they've taken a place now against God and against Moses And so they don't have any protection. They certainly don't have divine protection any longer because they put themselves in the place of sin rather than staying under God's favor. So when it says God sent fiery serpents in, he's not the one that sent them. He's not the cause of them coming. Now they realize that. They know more than most people that read this story knows. God simply allowed them to come in because they spoke against God and against Moses. So what do they do? Verse 7, 
Therefore, the people came to Moses. This is after the snakes are coming into the, to the camp and biting a lot of people. And a lot of people have died. We don't know how many have, but it says many of them died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Notice they did not come to Moses and say, God is not treating us right. They recognized that their sin had caused their problem. Now, stop and think about this. Whether it was 10 years before or 20 years before, it's certainly in close enough time, the proximity of time, for them to remember what happened in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. When they, uh, the whole of Israel came to the edge of the promised land in Kadesh Barnea. They came to the edge of the promised land. The 12 spies went in. Ten of the spies came back with an evil report saying, we can't do it. These people are too strong for us. We'll die if we try to go against them. Caleb and Joshua were the only two of the 12 that says, we can do it because God said so. He said so, so we can do it. God dispatched and destroyed the greatest army on the face of the earth just some period of time before, maybe two and a half years before that, when he brought us through the Red Sea on dry land. If he can defeat the armies of of Egypt, he can defeat anybody's armies. So we can do it. But the people spoke against God, spoke against Moses, and said, we can't do it. And as a result of their own sin, their own murmuring against God, their refusal to take the land that God said was theirs, that caused them to spend a period of time in the wilderness that will extend to 40 years. In other words, they're smart enough to know that when these fiery serpents come in, it's because of their own sin. They recognize the difference is that God's favor and his protection has left them. Not because God left, but because they sinned. Can you see that? So he says, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will make, that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now, folks, I would submit to you that it's the same principle that God has to deal with now. God has to do two things. In order to restore his people to health. He's got to do something about their sin problem. And then he's got to restore them to divine health. So they've got two parts to this. They have to have an atonement. A shedding of blood. Or some kind of ritual work. That will take care of the sins of the people. In order for God to minister healing. To the multitude. What's he going to do? The atonement has to be made. So God told Moses. Make you a fiery serpent. And set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten. When he looks upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass. And put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man. When he beheld the serpent of brass. He lived. Now, folks, I want you to turn with me real quickly over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I want to start in verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Clearly, he's talking to Nicodemus about being born again. Marvel ye not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it comes from and where there is going. So is everyone that's born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that which we do know, and testify that which we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And, please notice verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to see that that, um, Jesus chooses the example, the illustration, the type, the shadow, as the Bible tells us the Old Testament is for us. Jesus uses the type of Moses lifting up the serpent of brass in the wilderness as a type that will be fulfilled by the cross and Jesus' sacrifice thereon. Now again, remember what Moses is going to have to do or what Moses is going to do on behalf of God in Numbers chapter 21. He's got to come up with something that's an atonement, a covering over of their sin. And he's got to come up with something that will provide divine healing for the people. But you've got to deal with the sin problem first. Got to. Can't just take care of the healing part because the circumstances they were in that allowed the, the fiery serpents into the camp among the people, that was brought on by their own sin, their own wrongdoing. They know that. So they said, we've sinned. Do something for us. So God tells Moses to make the serpent of brass and put it on a pole and everybody that beholds the serpent and looks upon it shall live. Then Jesus uses that example Speaking of himself going to the cross, just as Moses lifted up the serpent of brass in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, where it says, even as in verse 14, I guess it is, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That phrase, even as means in the same way. So when Jesus talks about Moses lifting up the serpent of brass, he's saying the same thing that the serpent of brass did for Israel in the Old Testament in that specific situation in Numbers 21 will, is a type of that which I, Jesus, will do and will accomplish on the cross. Now, there's a lot of atonements he could have gone for that didn't have any association with healing whatsoever. There's a lot of places in the Old Testament where it talks about the people just offer up an atonement for their sins just because it's part of the ritual that God told them to do. Lots of places, lots of times, lots of examples where Jesus would have fulfilled just that type of the Old Testament that in their case atoned for sins or covered over their sins for a year, in our case does away with them once and for all. Why did he pick the one that was associated with sickness and disease? Nicodemus didn't talk to him about sickness. Nicodemus is talking to him about miracles. He starts off again in verses 1 and 2 saying, 
Master, we know that you're come from God for nobody can do this stuff that you're doing, meaning the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healings. Nobody can do that kind of stuff if God's not with them. So we know the fact that you're doing these things means God's with you. Then Jesus starts talking about being born again. I personally believe that the reason he talks about being born again is because signs and wonders and miracles are supposed to be a common occurrence in the kingdom of God. But at any rate, Jesus brings it around to him being lifted up on the pole. Him being lifted up on the cross, just like Moses lifted up the serpent of brass in the pole. Now, there's something else about that. And that is in Numbers chapter 21, where it says, we have sinned for we have spoken. Even before that, a couple of verses before that, it says that they spoke against God and against Moses. They acknowledge what they've done. By saying we have sinned, we've spoken against you and against God, now we need help. That word speaks or spoken, the ways that it's used. Both times it's the same word and it means something specific. It means answered. Answered. Now with that in mind, turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Scripture you're all familiar with. We'll start reading in verse. Uh, let's start reading in verse 12. It says, On the morrow when they were come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything whereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Skip down to verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Jesus calling to remembrance said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. I want you to notice in both, in two different places in this, it says that Jesus answered. The first time was when he came to the fig tree, Fig trees in that part of the world, and it's not exclusive to figs. It's this way with a lot of fruit trees. But when the leaves come out, the fruit comes out at the same time. Except this tree that Jesus found just had leaves, looked like a healthy tree. It looked like a worthwhile tree, but it didn't have any fruit. So Jesus answered and said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Folks, you need to understand something. And that is that the Bible teaches the principle that your circumstances, the things that you deal with in the ordinary course of life are designed in many cases by the enemy to see what you will answer. When sickness comes and attacks your body, you're going to have to answer. And we all do. The question is not whether or not we answer. 
It's what do we answer? When Jesus was faced with a a non-producing tree that's operating contrary to the way that it was created to function, God didn't make any any fruit trees that don't bear fruit. Jesus finds that the tree is worthless. It's of no value and no use since it doesn't have fruit to mankind in any way whatsoever. Jesus answers the circumstance. He curses the tree and the tree dies. Everything that the enemy brings against you and me is designed to have an answer. Now, I'm not saying that the devil is the only one that brings things to us that we have to answer. I'm saying simply this. God created the earth in such a way for us to answer whatever comes. See, when sickness attacks us, we give an answer. It's either going to be an answer that's influenced by our knowledge of the word. No, you don't, sickness. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I was healed. That's God's answer for sickness and disease. But you know as well as I do, not every believer answers that way. Well, it is flu season after all. Or this kind of thing runs in my family. Or it seems that it gets a hold of me every year. Those are all answers. They're not good answers. But they're all answers. So when the children of Israel say to Moses, we have spoken against God and against you. They're saying simply this. The discouragement that we experience because of the tough wilderness that we're going through. Again, that was caused by our own wrongdoing. We've answered those circumstances. We've answered that discouragement by speaking against God and speaking against you. That was our answer. And that didn't work out well. It opened the door for the fiery serpents to come into the camp. Now, folks, I would also submit to you that from the scriptures we've just read and many others we could go to, Jesus going to the cross was God answering to first the sin problem and second the sickness problem among, among mankind. Jesus answered by allowing himself to be taken captive, beaten in Pilate's court, and hung on the tree and crucified. That was God's answer. And as a result, now we have an answer. For anything and everything the devil does. We have an answer. That he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Peter gives us that same answer to the church. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. He talks about Jesus hanging on the tree. And he, Peter, looking back at the work Jesus did, the same work that Isaiah was looking forward in time to, Peter says, with his stripes we were healed. He paid the price for sin and sickness. He paid the price first for sin. 
by being our substitute. He removes sin from our charge. And with his stripes, we were healed. That's always the pattern, folks. Something has to be done about the sin problem. And then physical healing can be administered to the body. Thank God the Bible says Jesus entered in once and for all into the eternal holy of holies with his own precious blood and made an eternal redemption for us, which means for all of eternity, the sin problem has been answered. The sin problem has been dealt with. And because the sin problem has been dealt with for each and every one of his people on every continent on the face of the earth, anywhere that you and I or anybody else might be, that's made Jesus the Lord of their lives and accepted his sacrifice as their substitute, the shedding of his blood to pay the price for the removal of sin once and for all. That means that healing is always available for anybody and everybody because first the sin issue was dealt with. Now healing can come. Jesus said it's all about the same thing that Moses did when he made the serpent of brass. Now, some people have a hard time with being a serpent because Jesus was the lamb that was slain for us. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, God made Jesus to be sin for us. He made him to be sin on the cross. He didn't just lay something on him like you'd put a coat or a cloak on somebody's back. Jesus was made to be sin for us. There's only one thing that can mean, and that means Jesus died spiritually. His nature changed from the nature of righteousness, which was rightly his. Because he never made a mistake. He never committed sin. But the price for sin has got to be paid by somebody. The price for spiritual death, separation from God that came upon man because of sin in the Garden of Eden. That's got to be paid by somebody. And if it hasn't been paid by Jesus, that means it's still got to be paid by you. That's why the Bible goes into so much detail about Jesus being our substitute, dying for us. Which means he had to become that which we were, which was spiritually dead. So the Bible says God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. That or so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's who we are. Now, who ever heard of a righteous man or woman who was created specifically by God to have authority here in this earth? Who ever heard of that kind of person who knows who they are in Christ, who knows what the Bible says about who we are and what God did for us through the sacrifice of Jesus? Who would think that that person made in the image of God would not have authority over sickness and disease. But there's a lot of Christians out there. A lot of people that have been ravaged by sickness and disease. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody because you can't always look at what somebody's situation is and tell where they are. They might be believing God and you just don't see it or don't know it. But we're exactly the ones who were designed by God to have authority here on this earth. We've been recreated in his image. We've been born again just like Jesus had to be born again. If he died spiritually, then that means he had to be born again at some point in time. And the Bible tells us that he did that when 
He finished paying the price for sin and sickness and death. And because he's dealt with the sin problem once and for all, the healing is yours. Just like the Bible says from the beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's what Jesus provided for you. It's up to us to answer our situations. To answer sickness when it comes. To answer poverty and lack when it raises its head. We are expected to provide an answer. And as long as our answer is in line with what the word says. As long as we answer the way that the Bible says we should answer. Because of being made new creatures in Christ Jesus. Satan does not have the authority. He does not have the ability. He can't. Keep sickness on your body. He can't do it. And you might have to outlast him. You might have to hold your ground longer than you think you should. But the issue should not be, as our understanding of the truth of the word grows, the issue shouldn't be how long. The issue should simply be it's mine. If I have to stand for a week, it's mine. If I have to stand for a month, it's mine. If I have to stand for years, it's mine. It's mine because the word's true. That's how we're to answer. We're to answer with the word. That's what Jesus did when Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. Jesus answered, it is written. Here's what the Bible says. We need to quote the Bible to the devil. He has a short-term memory. We need to keep reminding him. Here's what the Bible says about us. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we're healed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And because we've been made righteous. The sin problem has been dealt with for all of eternity. Therefore. Since the sin problem was dealt with. We have a right to every other one of your benefits. We declare that all of our iniquities have been forgiven, removed literally, and all of our diseases were healed. We declare that since Jesus took upon himself our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, by his stripes we are healed now. No matter what it looks like in our body, no matter what circumstances arise, we answer Jesus paid the price. We answer. Sickness has no right to stay on our body. We answer. We are free by the blood of Jesus, washed in his blood and healed from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We answer that our bodies are healed, that our bodies are well. Sickness, we call you gone in Jesus' name. We declare that we're ruled by and saturated with the life of God. It permeates every cell of our being, every fiber, every nerve, 
every muscle, every joint, every part of our body from head to toe is saturated with the life of God from within. And it drives out sickness and disease at our command. Thank you, Father, that you're seeing to it that we have that which we believe and have answered unto. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every situation that comes up against you, you need to have an answer for. Everyone. I suggest you start offering answers to even good things that come. When a blessing rises up, say, well, that's what it is. I'm blessed of God. Here we go. Every situation, not just evil, not just tragedy, not just trouble and afflictions and so forth. Every situation that we encounter deserves an answer. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Thank you for being with us.